more at the end. First John chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses once again. We'll break this down uh, pretty quickly. And then the end commitment time is going to wrap up with you hopefully saying, I make a commitment to read the Bible for 21 days in a row. Okay? 21 days in a row. First um, John chapter 2, verse 1. We'll read until I run out of breath or my voice leaves. Now, 1 through 7. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation. Claire, I should have told you that word before. Propitiation. (laughs) For our sins. It's a tough one. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Wow, he didn't soften that blow and he didn't pull the punch there. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps the word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Okay, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Let me say it again. In whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. So let's break these this passage down a little bit. You remember last week we read 1 John chapter 1. We talked about how through Christ we're called into fellowship with the church body, with God the Father, and with Christ the Son, right? We're called into that fellowship. And I just want to remind you that this place, for us it's this building we call the vault, but this church that you're a part of and this group of students that you come together with every week on Sundays and Wednesdays should be should be some of the closest and most intimate and deepest relationships that you have. Because you come together saying, I worship Christ alongside you. I encourage you in that, and I worship Christ together. Our hearts cry out to him together. Now, is that the case? Possibly not. It's a work in progress. It's always a work in progress. It's always a fight to maintain that fellowship here. And so that's the direction I'm praying for you from last week, that some of your deepest, closest, most intimate relationships would be here with one another, growing in Christ together, all right? Now, let's look at what John says this week in chapter 2. He says, my little children, I'm writing you so that you do not sin. So first thing, we have the reason why he's writing. I like when writers do that for us, simply, right? Here's the reason why I'm writing you. I'm writing you, my little children, so you don't sin. First thing, the reason. He's saying, I'm writing you so you don't sin specifically, by denying your own sin, saying, I haven't sinned, or there was something going on during this time that John was writing called Gnosticism. Does anyone know what the Gnostics believed or thought? We've talked about it before, but it's been a while. So the Gnostics, I'm going to make it very simple for you. There's some more details to it you can look up. Gnostics believe simply the flesh was evil, the soul was good, Okay. So it was like this dichotomy, the flesh is evil, the soul is good, and the way that you come to salvation or being saved is you gain more knowledge or understanding for the soul. Gnosticism, we get that word from it. So what they're saying and what was becoming a part of the church and why John is writing this letter saying you need to be aware of this, he's saying it's not about knowledge, it's about Christ. It's about knowing Christ, we could say that, right? We live in a day where information is worship, don't we? 
We live in a day where information is worship. If I know this, I can look this information up. I can find facts quickly. But those don't lead us to a walk with Christ or salvation. Okay, that's what he's saying here. I'm writing these things so you don't sin by worshiping or idolizing knowledge or information, by coming to this place where you worship, those kind of things. There were some who were coming out of them, these Gnostics who were telling them that. But he's also writing so that they don't sin, generally speaking, saying, listen, there's this one specific sin I'm writing about that you're dealing with. Steer clear of that. But there's also, I'm writing generally speaking, so that you don't sin. You don't reject the God you worship for something else, other things, other choices. Also, uh, something that we have to deal with in the time that we live in as well, right? Are we free from sin yet? Man, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? It would be wonderful. So he's writing these things. The reason is so that you don't sin. So that brings up a question, and I'll ask it to you, and then we'll just see. Can you today walk free from sin? Okay. So we still have an option. We have a, still have a choice. And here's what I want to point out to you, that if we rely completely and totally upon ourselves to walk free from sin, then that's in fact where we won't walk free from sin. It's calling us into a deeper, more intimate reliance upon Christ, our salvation. And we'll see that in just a minute. It's calling us deeper into knowing him and walking with him. And I'll illustrate it this way for you. I remember in seminary, um, our professor, I had this crazy professor who he would like come into the class and just put his chair on his desk and just sit up there for the whole class period. And then at the end, he would use it as some type of illustration. Or he would sit at the back of the class and lecture from there. Just really odd. Well, one day, he walks in with this big, like, glass vat of black stuff. Just black. Like, probably maybe a gallon size vat of black stuff. He's like, this is coffee. <laughs> Anybody want to want some? I was like, I don't want any. This is coffee. And he says, this represents you all in sin. Right? Oh, that's cool. Um, it's kind of gross. I didn't know I could, <laughs> never mind. I don't know what it's coffee-like, but just the darkness. He used that as an illustration. He said, he picks up from under his desk. He has this big oh, other vat or pitcher of milk, right? And he just starts pouring the milk in. He says, this represents Christ. I've told you this before, I'm sure, because some of you are like, I've heard this before. So he pours in some milk. And you know what happens when you pour milk into coffee? You don't? Like you hit it in there, it's like this cloud of whiteness starts going, and you begin stirring it, and what happens to the darkness? It becomes lighter, right? And he said he didn't have enough milk, and he didn't want to waste it, in fact. But he just kept pouring that milk in there and kept stirring it. It became lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. He said, I could pour more milk in here and just keep pouring in because I have an infinite, infinite supply of milk. I could just pour it in until everything overflows out of here and all that's left is milk. The class I was in was spiritual discipline, so he's saying, I'm calling you to be disciplined to follow Christ in such a way that he fills you so much that the nastiness of you leaves out and all that's left is him. Is that clear as black coffee to you? So he's calling us here to reject self for Christ so that we walk free from sin. So is it possible? I say, in fact, yes, it is but not when it's reliance upon ourselves, when it's reliance upon Christ, okay? That's a tough place to be. That's a hard place to be in the world that we live in because we've created so many things that we trust rather than Christ. Let's dig deeper a little bit. Now we get the response. If anyone, you see that there? Um, and if anyone sins, now 
notice who he's writing to. He says, my little children. He's writing to believers, those who are already followers of Christ, we would say, and writing so you don't sin. He says, if any one of you believers sins, you have to know already that we have an advocate. We have someone, you know what an advocate is? Someone who speaks on your behalf, someone who stands and represents you, someone who takes your place. We have this advocate who stands in. The, the Greek word, my voice is going here, paraclete. Not like running shoes or track shoes, paracletes. <laughs> Softball shoes, a paraclete. No, it's a paraclete. It's an advocate, someone who stands in, who is, one who is called to help, one who comes alongside of in time of need, one who comes along beside you. So listen, he's saying, I'm calling you not to sin, but he knows us because what Jordan said, we have this nature that sins. He says, but if you do, you have someone who will stand beside you and advocate for you. Look up here, that's important. He has someone who will stand beside you and call out for you and speak for you on your behalf. So that's why I can say confidently before you, it's not about you trying harder to reject sin. It's about you leaning into Christ more because he's the one speaking for you. Why do we worship him? That's another message there, but we worship this one who advocates for us. Now, I've told you a story. I don't know. I, I guess I'm... My, I need to get some new illustrations because I'm finding myself saying all the time, I've told you this story before, but when I was in college, I worked at a pharmacy and I delivered medication mainly to elderly people. And there's this one lady I always delivered to, her name was Mrs. Carey. And my brother and I mowed her yard, we just tried to take care of her. She was a widow lady, so we did what we could for her. Um, one day my grandmother was sick, I took my grandmother to the hospital uh, my grandmother was fine. My aunt was going to stay with her. I was going home for the night. I'm leaving out of the hospital. And I hear out of, like, just this off to the side over here, someone scream out, Richard, Richard. It's like, and over, like, the nurse's station was over there, and all I see is Mrs. Carey's head just screaming out for me, and, like, one hand kind of raised, Richard, can you help me? That was about what her voice sounded like. <laughs> So I'm like, I walk over there, Miss Carrie, what's going on? What are you doing? She was in a wheelchair. She said, Richard, I've been here all day. I, I fell this morning. The ambulance brought me to the hospital like at 5 a.m. This is 1030 at night. She says, my, my daughter is out of town. I have no one to take me home. I've got no way to get home. Can you give me a ride home? I'll be honest with you. I was like, I'm ready to get home myself. But I couldn't leave her, right? So what did I do? I said, I'll take her. It was a little bit of a challenge because the hospital wanted to know why a 20-year-old guy that wasn't related was going to take this 75-year-old woman home, but we got that worked out after talking to the daughter. I got her home, got her in her home, was leaving. Richard, can you stay with me until my son gets here? Yeah, I'll stay here with you, I guess. <laughs> so the next morning, son shows up, I leave, everything's fine. What's the point of that silly story? Mrs. Carey had no one, no one, no one to speak on her behalf and to take her back to her home, right? John's saying here, listen, you might sin. You don't have anyone to speak on your behalf. You try. Mrs. Carey tried all day long to get someone to give her a ride home. But you call out to Christ. He's the one who stands before you and says, I'll come along beside you and I'll deliver you. Walk with me. Walk with me. Everybody see that? Jesus is the helper of those who are in fellowship, which these persons are by definition. We saw that a little bit. Now, 
we need to understand also that we need an advocate. So what's the, the first, the reason we saw that, and the response, if anyone sins, we have an advocate, and then we have the implication of that response, that we need an advocate. Just as orphans and widows need a voice, they need someone to speak on their behalf. That's James 1.27, visit the orphans and the widows in their distress. We also need someone to speak for us, speak on our behalf, right? Why do orphans and widows need someone to speak on their behalf? Anybody know? Structure of the family in Scripture is taught to us is that the male, the man, the husband is the head of the household, right? So widows are without husbands and orphans are without fathers, right? So they don't have someone to speak for them. So just using that kind of as an illustration here for you and I who are fatherless, we need someone to speak for us. We're orphaned. We need Christ to speak for us, all right? Can we say that? Uh, Can we see that pretty clearly? All right. Now, the next thing we see is that he himself, let me read on down just a little bit. And he himself, verse 2, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. He's our advocate with the Father, and this is the end of verse 1, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So here's the really cool thing. Not only do we have the one speaking before us, Jesus, the high priest, standing before the Father. He's speaking on behalf of you and I, who are Christians, but he's also the one who made the payment ultimately for our sin. He was the propitiation, read that hard word a while ago, right? For our sins and not for our sins only, but for all those of the whole world. For our sins and for our, all of the, for the sins of the whole world. So I really want to drive in on this point. Why is it that we worship Jesus? Because not only does he speak for you, but he died for you. And here's the crazy thing about it in my mind, is that he died first. He sees how you interact and behave towards him. And he still says, come to me, right? I'll speak for you advocate for you, all those who place their faith in me and follow after me, all right? Pretty significant. So propitiation, just so you know, I wrote these notes in there so I could share with you a little bit. A sacrifice which satisfies the just wrath of God for sin. As as it's applied to Christ through his death, he absorbed the just wrath of God toward us for our sin, okay? So that's like a really crazy simple example is if Luke was running up here at me, arm cocked back, ready to punch. Matthew, his brother, said, you can't punch the youth guy like that. And Matthew steps in the way of that and absorbs it full on to the forehead, punch in the face, right? He absorbed, I know it's crazy view, crazy picture. Duck like this is a hard spot. Matthew would absorb that blow that Luke was bringing towards me, right? On my behalf, Matthew stepped in front. The wrath that was coming, listen girls, the wrath that was coming on you because of your sin was absorbed by the son, Jesus. Most of us wouldn't, let, wouldn't take a punch, much less take death for someone, right? And yet this one who we're called to worship, the called to follow after, he, he took the blow for us and now he speaks for us. He speaks for us. 
And so what I want to say to you tonight is this should drive us into his word in a much deeper way. Should drive us into knowing him in a much deeper way. This should drive us um, down to verse 5. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we're in him. By this we know that we're in him. I heard one time a pastor, he was telling the story, he had been accused of using Christianity He had been accused of using Christianity as a crutch. It's like somebody said, listen, all you're doing is just using this story of Jesus as some type of crutch to get through life. And he said, at first I was offended by that. He said, I became angry. But he said, I thought about it for a little while. And he said, I realized that that's absolutely true. And when he explained, he said, I realize it's true because because of my sin nature, because I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he said, my legs, both of them were broken. I was crippled. I was lame. And Jesus came and he said, in this picture, for that person, he became a crutch. He propped me up. He brought me up to where I'm functioning. Are my legs still scarred? Are my legs still broken? Yeah, but I'm functioning now. I'm working now. I'm heading in the direction I should be going. He said, it is an interesting picture, but then he went on to say, you know, if your legs are broken and you got crutches, I don't even know how you use crutches if both your legs are broken. I'd be in a wheelchair, right? Both your legs are broken and you're in a wheelchair. Are you going to leave the wheelchair at home? And Jace is going to. So we're going to be, you're going to be that guy where you have to give you a ride to work every day because you're like crawling on your on, I'm not, right? Uh, most of you aren't. I'm not going to leave that at home. And every week we gather together as Christians and we say, Christ, the one who sustains us, Christ who advocates for us, Christ who saved us, Christ who took the blow for us, he's good for Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, but the rest of the week, not so much. Yeah, it's not, not so much. And so what I want to do tonight is challenge you. You know, I read a lot about your generation, and they say that teens today can't handle a challenge. That may be true, but that doesn't keep me from trying, right? I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be in the Word, God's Word, for 21 days in a row without stopping, holding each other accountable for that, all right? Holding each other accountable for that task, that goal, not so that at the end you can say, I read the Bible for 21 days in a row. If that's all we get, if that's the only thing we come to at the end, then we miss the point. 21 days in a row, driving into this one we read about, Jesus who advocates for you and speaks on your behalf, cries out for you and literally took the punch for you, although it's much deeper than a punch, much greater than a punch. So if you look at that packet, I only gave you seven days this week, okay? The next Wednesday, I'll give you seven more because I know what happens. You'll lose all 21 days. Then I'm out. <laughs> so seven days, you have those there. Together, we're going to read through the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 1. And it'll direct you on how to read so that we can get through. It'll last you 21 days. It breaks the verses up 
in the 21-day period, okay? So how do we hold one another accountable? 